views expressed on this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and are not necessarily those of this station, its management, or other advertisers. You're listening to Transformation Talk Radio. Welcome to Dynamics of Diversity Radio, scripting the new narrative for immigration with leading experts, Kripa Upadhya and Steve Tanija. This hit show will feature thought leaders and visionaries discussing both challenges and opportunities associated with the dynamics of immigration and diversity in today's world. The show transcends the boundaries of conventional thinking about diversity, removing the borders of our minds while opening our hearts for a new perspective. Kripa and Steve will get rid of that noise that often accompanies discussions on the topic in the media. Whether helping families unite, refugees build new lives, and businesses attract and retain bright young minds, Kripa and Steve remind us of the integrity and insight we need to help keep America in the forefront of change and discovery through the power of its diverse people. Now, here is the Dynamics of Diversity Radio. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. This is Talk Radio to Thrive By. Uh, I'm Dr. Pat. Thank you for tuning us in and turning us on. Also, just want you to know that uh, we're also, you know, kicking this up on Transformation Talk Radio and on our Conscious Business Channel and other places. You know, the conversations that I've had um, here recently, and I'd say in about the past month, I think since the holiday, I've uh, been some of the most inspiring conversations I think I've had in my life in a really long time. You know, I think the last time that I was really exploring and fired up uh, was when I was writing papers on the consequences of broken promises and what they mean and and, and how we can strengthen our commitment uh, to to each other in many, many ways. You know, what is it about a promise that is made that is held so close to our hearts You know, many of you signed on for the promise of growing up in this country and as as part of growing up in this country, you know, there is a psychological contract that gets made, you know, that being being here in this country, which we call the United States of America, there are certain things that maybe we don't have to worry about. There are certain dreams that we can have. But what if that was not true for everyone? What if the rules of the game were changing? What if psychological contracts were broken? You know, today I'm going to be speaking with my very special co-host today about dreams deferred. Do immigrants still have a place in today's America? And joining me here today is Kripa Upade, who is the managing partner of Orbit Law. And she represents corporations, individuals from around the world in business, um, And the conversation is about employment immigration, but it goes beyond that. You know, uh, Steve, her partner, is not going to join us here today. And, you know, we talk about how these two individuals have teamed up so that we can look at this as not just a word, the word immigration, but as something that connects families, something that connects hearts, something that matters, something that helps people understand who they are here, and what they can contribute, and then helps the rest of us 
understand who people are and what the contributions are across the board. Today, Dynamics of Diversity is the radio show that Kripa is and Steve both co-host and is part of what we're doing today. And as a result of that, we're hitting the ground with Dreams Deferred. Kripa, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Thank you very much. It's great to be on. You know, Dreams Deferred, tell us a little bit about that, because this is a conversation. Do immigrants still have a place in today's America? And I will tell you, anybody watching the march or participating in it over the weekend, uh, clearly we have folks that are just not going to go silently in the night, and and I think you're one of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I for me, and, and you know this, you know, I'm, I am a first-generation immigrant, and I think my experience... Uh, in this realm in terms of being an immigrant in this country and what it means to be an immigrant in this country has been very different uh, than the experience of a lot of my clients and a lot of the people that I work with and a lot of the people that the firm serves. Um, you know, as you said, I my, my practice, a great part of my practice is with employers and corporations, but I also take on a lot of asylum cases. Um, the firm obviously works with a lot of people that don't necessarily have paperwork. We don't purposely don't use the term illegal. Um, mm-hmm. We prefer the term undocumented because as a fundamental right, no human being is illegal. Uh, you know, they may have documents, they may not have documents, but as an individual, no individual is illegal. Um, so as a conscious decision, we do not use the term illegal, but that is the term used in the immigration legal system to describe individuals present in the United States without status. So as a first-generation immigrant into the country, this is, uh, on a basic level, this is personal for me. Um, but, I mean, as, an, as, an, as a professional, I've had the pleasure and the pain, unfortunately, of working with people that I've had to see be forced apart from families, um, currently working with people that were brought into the U.S. as very young individuals, some as young as just a few months old. You know, this is the only country they've ever known. Um, And now they are, I think, fair to say, paralyzed by fear as to what this new four years means for them. They don't know what that means. They don't know if, you know, the they're going to be able to stay here or if it means they're going to have to go to a country they've never actually known. And I'm talking about mm-hmm. the children that were given documentation under what President Obama called uh, DACA or the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. Mm-hmm. Now, there's been a lot of advocacy in the last couple of months um, asking the new president to keep DACA. And it seems, mm-hmm. at least for the moment, that that will hold um, Reince Priebus said, I believe it was the day before, that the president doesn't intend to take away DACA, at mm-hmm. least for the moment. Uh, he doesn't intend to take away DACA. But I don't know whether that's going to change. Um, you know, we've seen instances before where one thing was said one day and another thing was said another day. So we don't really know how long that's going to hold or if that is, in fact, the policy. We haven't actually heard from the president himself. We haven't seen any policy come out. Um, my understanding is that there's supposed to be some sort of executive orders on immigration that are due to come out uh, by the end of this week. Yeah. Um, so we're going to wait with bated breath. But yeah, yeah, 
I mean, yeah. you know, these are these are kids. These are um, youth that have to have at minimum a a um, high school diploma. Most of them have a bachelor's degree. Uh, most of them, at least the ones that I've had the pleasure of working with, have more than that. You know, I mean, I have. I've had the pleasure of working with people that are working in hospitals as nurses and radiation techs and working as counselors in high schools. And, uh, you know, I have one that's an engineer. I have another one that's a paralegal at one of the big farms in downtown Seattle. Um, you know, I mean, these are people that are contributing to the U.S. economy yeah. uh, and find, you know, their parents may have broken the law, but... For me, it just seems like we're making the children pay for the sins of their for yeah. the sins of the parents may have committed. You know, I, I, and I don't know if it's a sin. I mean, I think it's it's an error that the parents committed. But again, it's a situation where the parents were motivated by a desire to give their children a better life, and mm-hmm. I don't know if I can stand in judgment of that. Mm-hmm. You know, I I think that if we start to make decisions without you know, including our hearts in these decisions. Um, I think we're going to turn back the clock decades, not just years. We're going to turn back the clock decades. And, um, you know, I don't know that much is really gained from fear. Um, I mean, I think about for many people how they operate in their lives. I was talking uh, about this on the, on the previous hour, Kripa. What I was talking about was the fact that I worked at Bell Labs. And if anybody knows anything about Bell Labs, you know, melting pot isn't really even a great term for it. Mm-hmm. Most of the top scientists in that company, people that never really came out of their offices, never really, you know, patents, you know, thousands of patents each of them had. Um, many of them not born here. Mm-hmm. And I'm not really sure that we understand the essence uh, uh, of what this country was really made of and why, you know, this diversity has made us as great as we are. And, I, and can you talk about that for a minute? Because America should care for a lot of reasons. Definitely for the children, but there are other reasons, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, I think, again, you know, I think the the rhetoric, at least the mm-hmm. inauguration speech of the president was very, um, you know, I mean, he, he said America first, right? Like that's going to be, I guess, the founding, mm-hmm. the guiding, the guideline um, or the guiding principle is going to be America first moving forward. And we've already seen that mm-hmm. they implemented, uh, you know, within the first week of the presidency, we've seen the end of the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Yeah. Um, the TPP's out the door. Um, we know that the president intends to meet with um, Enrique Peña Nieto and also with uh, Justin Trudeau and apparently renegotiate NAFTA. Um, mm-hmm. And so presumably parts of NAFTA are now going to go out the door. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know what America first means. I don't know what that entails, because particularly in 2017, this is very much an interconnected world. I don't know that any country, America, the United Kingdom, Germany, what have you, any country on us is going to be able to continue in terms of economic growth mm-hmm. um, and cultural growth.
with a policy which is we're going to go it alone because we believe we are the greatest country on the on the face of the earth. We may very well be the greatest country on the face of the earth, but I don't know that in a in a country that is as interconnected economically and globally mm-hmm. that we're going to be able to make the same sort of strides that we have been able to make in the last eight years going it alone. And if we're going yeah. to talk about you know, the the place of immigrants and the contribution of immigrants just to the United States alone. Um, just last year, 2016, six Americans were awarded the Nobel Prize for their work in fields of um, chemistry, physics, and economics. Those were the three that were selected last year, right? It was just um, those three fields um, that happened to be awarded uh, to Americans. So there were six Americans in 2016 that were awarded Nobel Peace Prizes, and the fields happened to be for chemistry, physics, and economics. All six were first-generation immigrants born outside of the United States, but became citizens later in life. Mm -hmm. If you look at um, U.S. innovators, uh, companies, patents, things of that nature, U.S. innovators born outside of the United States, 35.5%, so more than one-third, of patents and companies are for U.S. innovators born outside of the United States, even though that population makes up only 13.5% of all U.S. residents. 10% of innovators were born in the United States but have at least one parent that is born abroad. More than 17% of innovators are not U.S. citizens. Uh, meaning they are here either on some form of work visa or that they are lawful permanent residents of what is colloquially referred to as a green card. Um, immigrants born in Europe or Asia are more than five times as likely as the average native-born U.S. citizen to have created some form of innovation in America. Um, and if you look at something as, as basic as the engineering schools in the United States right now, Mm -hmm. A vast majority of students that are currently enrolled in engineering programs across universities in the United States are likely not a majority of native-born Americans Mm -hmm. or native-born U.S. citizens. And that's just the way it is. You know, that's just a fact. And that's not just to set up an us-versus-them argument. That's not to set up a us-versus-them diatribe or a war of any sort. That's just to say we have to be cognizant of what the facts are. The facts are facts, right? There is no alternative facts, as a particular segment would like to believe. Facts are facts. But you must have been listening to my last show, my last <laughs> show, because, you know, you and I both know that, you know, as children of parents and as some of the parents listening out there, can you imagine if, if your child walked up and you asked them, you know, about something that they did, which clearly um, they shouldn't have done, or maybe they did, and they proceeded to tell you, well, it's not really an untruth, but I have alternative facts here. I mean, it, it's I don't know how we not laugh about this. Uh, you know, it's kind of funny, but it's really not, right, Kripa? I mean, it's kind of, but not. I, I don't I'm, I don't see the humor in it. Honestly, I, know. I don't. I'm just beset by fear. I mean, just to see that language of that nature, you know, alternative facts is coming out of the highest office in the land. Just 
gives me a sense of complete trepidation. Mm. Mm. Well, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, you know, one of the things that's so important to keep in mind is, you know, to keep in mind the potentiality. But in order for us to do that, when we come back, you know, what is the immigration court system about? You know, is there a fair court system? We'll be right back with the show and we'll give you lots of information about Orbit Law. We'll be right back. Like a small boat on the ocean, sending big waves into motion, like how a single Transformation Talk Radio is dedicated to the education and awareness of Lyme disease. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Lyme Talk Radio. I'm Dr. Pat, joined here by Dr. Nusheen Darvish. Dr. Pat Basili and Dr. Nusheen Darvish will be bringing the most innovative, groundbreaking information, research, treatment innovations, and stories from those it affects every day. I'm so excited to be talking about this. We have so much to share. Dr. Darvish and I are planning to do is connect the dots. People suffering with all sorts of chronic diseases, it's time. It is time for them to transform. Tune into Lyme Talk Radio and help keep our mission strong. For the loyal listeners out there that have been listening to this incredible show on Lyme disease, we are not going to let you down. We're going to come through stronger and enrich the platform for Lyme disease awareness through Lyme Talk Radio. The message will continue. The conversations will become stronger and the healing epic. Are you feeling stagnant or blocked in your love life, career, health, or finances? experiencing difficulty focusing or setting and achieving goals tune in to spiritual diagnostics radio with psychic visionary healers carol dorian and suzanne evans discover the cause and effect of unwanted patterns in life tune in every tuesday at 12 p.m pacific on transformation talk radio for more information visit spiritualdeed.com Introducing the Lucid Planet, a digital gathering place featuring cutting-edge, high-vibrational content that will empower and inspire you to become the greatest version of yourself. Visit the Lucid Planet today to stimulate your mind, body, and soul as you connect with a global community of like-minded people. The Lucid Planet is edited by renowned psychologist and author Dr. Kelly Neff, who is here to help you cope with anxiety, connect to your higher purpose, uncover your true passions, and live your dreams. Dr. Kelly's fresh, compassionate perspective emphasizes growth, transformation, healing, and thriving, even in the face of adversity. Say goodbye to bad news and low vibrational media for good and become part of the larger collective of people working together to navigate the global shift of consciousness and transform the world from within. Join the planet, the Lucid Planet. Visit thelucidplanet.com. Welcome home. On the cutting edge of the new mainstream, Christine Upchurch is passionate about bringing together science, psychology, and spirituality in a way that can be applied to our everyday lives for true transformation. The Christine Upchurch Show, stellar conversations to illuminate your journey, engages some of the most outstanding visionaries on the planet in lively dialogue to inspire you to become that bright light you're meant to be. Join Christine every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time on KKNW, AM 1150, and Transformation Talk radio. But I can make an explosion. And all those things I didn't say were wrecking balls inside my brain. I will scream loud tonight. Can you hear my voice? This 
everybody. Welcome back. It's so great to have all of you tune us in, turn us on. You know, uh, we're so thrilled to have Dynamics of Diversity Radio. Creeper is joining me here today. Creeper, before we uh, talk about the court system, can you let folks know how they can find out more about Orbit Law, your phone number, uh, email, website, and anything else you'd like to share with folks? Yes, of course. Um, so, our website is www.orbitlawplc.com. Uh, we are also on Twitter at orbitlawplc. Um, you can obviously call us at the office. The number is two zero six six two three 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 five two. Awesome. Thank you. You know, one of the things that I think, uh, at least one thing that we are not even close to mindfully aware of is the court system and understanding the immigration court system Mm -hmm. and how when people hear court system, they think we're all one big court system, right? Mm -hmm. But that's not the reality here when we're talking about the justice system for immigration. I'd love for you to take us on a walkthrough of what is that like? This is the world you live in. What is that like? It's completely um, the opposite of, of everything that I think the public is, uh, what, what the public thinks of when they think mm-hmm. of court, right? So mm-hmm. um, when the public thinks court, they think of a judge and they think of a jury. And, uh, you know, first of all, there is no jury in immigration court. Uh, there is also nothing called rules of evidence. It is a system that, if you ask any immigration court practitioner, not just me, it is a system that is entirely skewed against the immigrant. Um, the way that the immigration court system functions, is it is, it's called the Executive Office uh, for Immigration Review, or EYR. It is a part of the U.S. Department of Justice. So the president appoints um, you know, the Secretary of the Department of Justice. He then appoints immigration court judges. So the judges are not independently elected. They are mm. appointed by the Department of Judges, uh, the Department of Justice. So they are effectively employees of the DOJ. Oh. Um, the government attorneys are referred to as immigration, um, what we call ICE Council, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, so ICE. Uh, the government attorneys are referred to as ICE counsel. ICE counsel are also employees of the Department of Justice. You see where I'm going with this? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you have a judge that is an appoint, uh, basically an employee of the Department of Justice. Yep. The attorney general that is an employee of the Department of Justice. Um, ICE counsel that are basically employees of the Department of Justice. So mm-hmm. it's so far, historically, the judges um, and ICE Council have been allowed to function relatively independently. Mm-hmm. Um, the judges, at least, have been allowed to function relatively independently. We're not sure whether that's going to continue to be the case. Uh, during John Ashcroft's time, there was um, interference with um, the ability of federal prosecutors to do their jobs. I'm, I know you're aware of this. That's when we yeah. had several of the prosecutors that were thrown out of their jobs effectively from um, uh, the 
U.S. Attorney's Office yeah. across the country. Um, so we might go back to seeing something like that. The immigration court system is also very different on one other crucial point, which is that uh, respondents, which are uh, basically people that have hearings in front of the immigration court, um, are referred to as respondents. They are not provided attorneys at government expense, so they have to have their own attorneys. Consequently, what that means is if you don't speak English, which 95% of them possibly don't speak fluently, doesn't matter. You represent yourself. Um, We also routinely put children in proceedings, um, and that could be children as young as three years old. And if you don't have an attorney, well, you represent yourself. So if you are a child that is three or four or five, you get to explain to a judge why you are afraid to go back to your country and why you feel that a gang is going to recruit you and what the basis of that recruitment is and why you don't think that the government of Mexico is going to be able to protect you or why the government of El Salvador is going to protect you and you get to try and be coherent about corruption in the government of El Salvador and Mexico um, at the age of five. So that's what happens in immigration court. Um, but, you know, that's why attorneys are vital, of vital importance. Um, the ACLU and the Northwest Immigrant Rights Project have filed um, class action lawsuits to try to have at least attorneys appointed for children, uh, for juvenile defendants, but that has not gone very well at all. Um, so that's a battle that, that continues to be fought. Um, there are attorneys that take on cases, obviously, pro bono, but right. the need is far greater than, um, I mean, there, there's still so many more cases than there are attorneys that are able to take on these cases. There's also the other um, issue, um, you know, that goes hand in hand with the court system, which is <coughs> the prison industrial complex. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Because... Detainees, uh, immigrant detainees or or immigrants that are arrested at the border are placed at detention facilities that are run by a company called GEO or GEO, Mm -hmm. which is a private, um, privately run prison complexes across the United States. Um, And they run complexes for families as well as for individual detainees. Now, the other thing that I don't know if the American public or the you know the public at large is aware is that there's actually a congressional mandate which says that immigration detention centers must have a certain number of beds that are occupied per day. So there's a mandate for how many people must be held in detention at the end of every day. Um, otherwise, they're effectively in violation of their contract with presumably the government because that's who their contracts are with. Yeah. You know, what I love about what we're talking about today is what has happened and what is happening now in literally just one day. We're talking one day, right? Now we're on day two. What's happened in such a short period of time is there's such a change of power, there's such a change of authority. There's no real challenge or conversation about these folks. Um, it reminds me of a time where 
my my uncle used the term rubber stamping. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what what you and I are talking about today is going to require a universal uproar. And I think that what's happening in the way that that you're out there talking about it and the action that you're going to take to help people, I I'm like many people. I, you know, I pray that more people speak out, speak out, more people like Chuck Todd speak out, you know, more people like CNN refusing to play press conferences live, uh, more people like Dan Rather speak out. Um, and to the point where there can be a check and balance long enough for a, long and uh, long enough, creeper long enough for us to pause and have a dialogue, right? Right. I mean, and I think on the immigration debate in particular, I mean, and I have to say this, I don't think anybody is saying don't enforce the laws. No. Right? I mean, I don't think anybody is saying don't enforce the laws. I don't think there's a single person saying don't secure the borders. Because when I have these conversations, the first thing that's thrown back is, you know, so what do you want us to do? Let thousands of uh, terrorists in. Yeah. There hasn't been a single immigrant that's been a terrorist, by the way. Not a single undocumented person has gone out and caused a terrorist attack in the United States thus far, mm-hmm. right? So don't conflate an argument just because you need to make a point. Yeah. Number two, even, right, even right-leaning even policy institutes are saying that if you want to effectively build that wall and, and deport, I think um, the current president said 3 million people. I think that was a number he threw out at some point mm-hmm. during the campaign. Yeah. It was that he wanted to, to um, effectively remove three million people. Three million, yeah. Understand that that is going to cause a deficit of about 400 to $600 billion in the economy because that means you're losing a massive portion of your agricultural workforce, a massive portion of your service industry workforce, and a massive portion of your housing uh, construction industry workforce. So... Unless there is another group of people that's willing to step in and take those jobs, your food prices are going to go higher, and the economy is going to shrink. There's no question about it. And, you know, there's a very unrealistic idea of how things get done in this country. Very unrealistic. And, you know, I remember um, when I went back to school, and uh, in California, and one of the things that became quite controversial right within our class, you're going to love this, right within our class was a debate that went on with us, with us, you know, students as to uh, how much of the information about labor was really true. You know, in the state of California, you know, really, are there people in California that are unemployed that would literally refuse to take a job uh, of someone working in the fields. When we come back, we'll talk about this and more. And, you know, I'll share a little light, you know, along with Creepa about what is the reality of this? You know, are we talking people that are here just sitting around watching television, which, which, which is that's the general consensus? Or would you like to know what the average lifespan is? of a strawberry picker in California. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. I was blown away. What could I say? 
It all seemed to make sense You're taking away everything And I can't deal with that I try to see the good in life But good things in life If you're one of the millions of Americans suffering from anxiety, you probably know how powerless and out of control this emotion can make you feel. This is why it is so important to remember that anxiety is created by your mind, which means that you can learn to use your mind to uncreate it. Hello, my name is Dr. Friedman Schaub. My award-winning book, The Fear and Anxiety Solution, provides you with a step-by-step -step breakthrough process to understand and resolve the root causes of your anxiety and build a solid foundation of confidence and inner peace. If you are ready to take your power back, visit thefearandanxietysolution.com. That's thefearandanxietysolution.com. Or call 866-903-6463. That's 866-903-MIND. Registration is now open for the 25th Annual Woman of Wisdom Conference. Join the fabulous presenters from around the country on February 16th through the 20th. If you believe in raising the feminine spirit and transforming our world, then this conference is for you. Get your tickets now. One day and full weekend passes are available. For more information about presenters and tickets, visit womanofwisdom.org. That's womanofwisdom.org. Wow. Hey, everyone. Welcome. Uh, welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. This is Talk Radio to Thrive By. I'm telling you, I got to pinch myself some days because when each of us gets called to do something that we so not thought was in our wheelhouse to do for a purpose that's so much greater than us, we get to show up and shine. If you would like to show up and shine on the Dr. Pat Show as a co-host or sponsor, send us an email to inspire at thedrpatshow.com. Do you keep attracting the same type of guy over and over? Do you believe all of the good guys are taken and you might be single forever? Hi, my name is Deb Acker, and in addition to being the host of Truth Talk Radio, I'm an intuitive life coach and energy healer. I clear energy blocks to all areas of life, including love. Did you know that many times a thing that keeps us attracting the same type of person is energy related? What if you could complete this pattern for good to attract conscious, loving men? Don't think it's possible? Several years ago, this is where I was, and I went on a journey to figure out how to undo this for myself, and I now help others with this. I love helping clients clear this pattern for good to have the love they so desire and deserve. If this resonates for you and you're ready to be truly done attracting the same type of person, I'd love to gift you with my pattern identification session. Simply contact me on the contact page of my website, deborahacker.com. That's D-E-B-O-R-A-H-A-C-K-E-R.com. And let me know you heard about this gift through Transformation Talk Radio. I look forward to connecting soon. Wow. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. You know, what we're talking about here today is so important. Welcome to Dynamics of Diversity Radio. Uh, dreams defer. Do immigrants still have a place in today's America? And um, Before we kind of jump ahead, can you I'd love for you to share a little bit about Orbit Law, about you, Kripa, about Steve and the work that you do. Again, please let them know how they can find out more about you. Yeah, sure. So the firm uh, 
focuses exclusively on immigration law um, right now. So we have um, two halves of the practice. One half works with families and individuals that are in removal proceedings. Um, So we work on unifying families um, and we help with a whole host of family-based applications, whether it's for people seeking to bring in fiancés or seeking to bring in parents or spouses from other countries. And then we also work with people that are um, currently in proceedings that are uh, potentially looking to be removed from the United States. And then we also work with people seeking humanitarian relief like asylum for those that may be in the U.S. that are afraid to go back to their home countries. Uh, My practice is predominantly with corporations and entities that are seeking to bring in employees from other countries. Um, And that's predominantly because they either can't find people in the U.S. with those talents or because they found somebody that is really the, the absolute best fit. And they need this person to come in and help, really help the U.S. economy grow, or at least help the U.S. Um, employees be trained um, in terms of doing their job or help um, them learn new skills. So that's what our firm does. Um, we are in downtown Seattle at the Medical Dental Building. Um, you're welcome to call us or come visit anytime you want. Um, our phone number is 206-623-3352. We are available. Our website is... to. Um, www.orbitlawplc.com and we are also on Twitter at Orbit Law. Thank you. Thank you. Kripa, you know, one of the things I was mentioning before and I wanted to get back to it now is that, you know, we really underestimate the contribution that immigrants have today in America and have had in the past. We underestimate it, we downplay it, or better yet, we don't acknowledge it. And I made a reference to going to school in California and being part of a debate team. Uh, And the debate had to do with jobs, unemployment and availability. And one of the issues came up had to do with contribution. And what was so enlightening about that, and by the way, we did take a trip to a strawberry field. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll never forget it. Uh, For those of you out there that are wondering about where your strawberries come from, where your fruits come from, where your vegetables come from, um, what's involved in that, the labor, the days, the long hours, the sunshine, you know, that is beating down at you 24-7, the ridiculous amount of money that people are paid. And by the way, those jobs are available to anybody out there that's sitting on an unemployment line collecting unemployment. But that's not all that we're talking about today. We're talking about people that contribute beyond our wildest imagination. Isn't this all part of an at-risk conversation here? We're not like saying, oh, wait a minute, those folks over in California, they're at risk. But you know that scientist over there, he or she is not. Right. I mean, and I think, you know, there's, number one, there seems to be this um, misunderstanding or rather propensity to assume that only people that are Latino or Hispanic are, Ill- are undocumented or quote-unquote illegal in the United States, right? Mm-hmm. Anybody can be undocumented. Undocumented basically means anyone that entered the United States without documents or somebody that entered the United States on a visa but overstayed. And that could be somebody that came in as an au pair from Germany or somebody that came in 
on a tourist visa from New Zealand and just never went back. So it's not necessarily or exclusively the provenance of somebody that's, you know, Mexican or Guatemalan or Honduran, that only they can be undocumented. Uh, but there seems to be this misunderstanding or misconception that only Hispanic or Latino people are undocumented. And while that is a majority of the community, that is not the only segment of the community that is undocumented. Um, as far as the technology innovation side is concerned, that's, again, I think that's the other misconception there, which is that, you know, it's basically all South Asian con- companies, that it's all South Asian consulting companies, that all of these jobs are being sent over to India for lower wages, and, you know, it's a bunch yeah. of people that are stealing American jobs. That's yeah. really not ne- that's really not the case. Um, because if you look at the way that the visas are actually structured, you know, what employers have to do to even be able to get these visas, there are a thousand hurdles that they have to go through. For example, the H-1B, the, the much pilloried and much abused H-1B, which is the one that most employers um, are able to bring in foreign workers on. You know, you apply for that in April, right? And April 1 is when that window opens. Last year, there were about 65,000 visas available. And this is for the entire year, mind you. 65,000 visas available for the year. And immigration offices received about 300,000 applications in the first week, just in the first week alone, right? So employers have to apply for this in April, but the employee doesn't get to start work until the 1st of October. That's a really long time for employers to have to wait without an employee to be able to do that work. I mean, so clearly, if they could yeah. find somebody with that talent and that skill that was able to do those, that, that job the way that they needed it to be done in the U.S., they wouldn't make that extra $5,000, $7,000, dollars investment. On a, yeah. on a 50% chance that they may or may not get it. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think it's a misunderstanding. I mean, has there have there been companies that have taken the easy way out and abused it? Yes, absolutely. But I don't know that you get, you know, I don't think that it's wise to basically criticize an entire system and to throw everything out because so far two companies have been caught um, basically doing it illegally and effectively right. shipping jobs abroad, which is not the intention behind the visa. Right, right. We have really globalized a, a, an idea to, a, to, to the point of a false representation. I mean, this is really what happens. We grab onto a soundbite and the soundbite becomes a reality. Then we globalize it. Then we make it a big thing. Um, but you and I both know that in this country, right, uh, there is immigrants comprise a large, a real vital component of U.S. innovation. You know, we're not talking small numbers here. You know, we're talking like I think it's a th- like almost 36 percent were born outside the United States. Um, and, you know, and, and then we're talking about, you know, that out of that, we still have 17 percent or more that are still not U.S. citizens. And so the story goes on and on and on. 
Uh, but yet we, we choose, or at least our leaders choose, to hold a very different conversation, one that kind of skews the information and presents inaccurate data. And so, I, I, you know, you talked about this earlier, and I would love for you to share more about it. There is an impact to the U.S. economy. There is. But there's also an impact to the U.S.'s ability to compete in the world market innovatively, because if folks are asked to leave, guess what? They're going to go to countries where they're going to contribute as they're contributing here. And I don't know what makes us think that if we gather up people and we start to look at them and we start to say, okay, we're going to millions, we're going to send millions of you somewhere that there aren't going to be companies that open up their uh, countries that open up their arms and say, welcome. I think we're missing something here. Yes, there's an impact on the economy. And I'll tell you, it will be swift. It will be swift in places like California, Florida, Georgia. It will be swift. People will feel that immediately. But isn't there another more, you know, slowly festering, if I might say, impact on future innovation? Well, of course. Of course there is. I mean, and if you're looking at, look, as I said earlier, right, if you're looking at deporting 3 million people, <laughs> you're looking at a complete collapse of largely the agricultural and the service industry, mm-hmm. um, which is, in, in my, again, I'm not an economist, but I think yeah. just on a basic fundamental level, if there aren't going to be agricultural workers to pick up our food, then you're looking at inflation and a massive rise in food prices. On the other hand, if you're looking to basically go with this um, guiding principle, which now seems to be the norm of America first, and you're going to penalize companies for bringing in foreign workers or for hiring foreign talent when when we don't necessarily have that talent within the United States, then what you're effectively forcing companies to do or forcing people to do is to set up those companies outside of the United States. But on the flip side is those companies are now in competition with U.S. companies. Yes. Right? And so the U.S. is missing out in terms of, number one, in terms of talent, but you're also missing out in terms of being able to innovate and being able to stay in the lead in terms of making innovations and in terms of leading in terms in, in whatever it is, whether it's science or whether it's technology or whatever it is. Right? And that's not to say that I mean, I think there's this this um, notion that, well, they don't have necessarily, other countries don't have the infrastructure that matches up with the U.S. And I yeah. think that's a very myopic view of the world. Yeah. Right? Because we don't necessarily, I mean, I haven't been to every other country in the world, but I can tell you that the countries that the U.S. is in competition with, countries like Singapore and, and Japan and even India, which may not have all of their infrastructure needs completely sorted out, mm-hmm. they are very much in a position, those companies are very much in a position to compete with U.S. companies, but for, you know, on, on par. And I think if you're looking at the technology sector, then Silicon Valley and Washington State, so locally, we would be very badly impacted. And if you're looking at agriculture, again, California and Washington State would be badly impacted. So for oh, yeah. us, on a local level, mm-hmm. we're going to get hit either way. 
Yeah. You know, one of the things in particular that I find fascinating with this conversation is, you know, you really can't exclude any dimension of our infrastructure here. You know, we can't. We can't say, you know what, it's going to hit California over here. I'll tell you what, those of you that are thinking, I'm going to go to Las Vegas pretty soon, I will tell you that the construction infrastructure for those people listening right now, you know, this is a whole nother conversation that nobody is having, right? You know, when we think about construction and we think about construction infrastructure and we think about the jobs that are done in construction, um, and the talent and the skill that people bring to that, you, you know, we're not really talking about, let's just say, a, a, a cluster of people. This is across the board. You know, six of America's 16, 2016 Nobel laureates were, you know, are immigrants. So we're not just talking about a couple of things. How can we change the perspective, Kripa? I want to ask you, because we have to change the way we're looking at this. What is the best way? How do we do that? Honestly, I think it's really just understanding where we are on a global scale. And mm-hmm. I understand that, you know, being in the U.S., and I, I completely get it, I think, yeah. you know, there's this tendency to, even for news agents, you know, even for the mainstream media, to sort of focus on news that's U.S.-centric, right, or U.S.-specific. Um, there's not much focus on the international scheme of things. Yeah. But I think we we have to go outside of our comfort zone. You have to be able to look at things from a more global perspective and be able to connect those dots and say, okay, if this is where things are here, then where are things elsewhere in the world and how is all of this connected? You know, I mean, it, it really is. It's not just... Um, when I say this is an interconnected world and it is anything that happens in one part of the world is going to affect the u.s right and you just need to look at and we just look at the stock market and we've seen that happen in the run-up to the inauguration right i mean the president made a comment about one car company and stock prices in japan went plummeting down oh because that company happened to be out of japan well that should tell you something yeah right i mean the price of corn goes up in India, and then stock markets in the U.S. react. That ought to tell you something. Yeah. I mean, because it is all interconnected. And so I think other than basically understanding that, fine, you know, for the powers that be, the, the new guiding principle may be America first. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why they, I, I assume that there is a reason why they've chosen that to be the guiding principle. But vilification of the other is never really going to serve that purpose. Right. And I think just having this myopic view of America first and vilification of anything and everything that doesn't serve that soundbite, if you will, Mm -hmm. is really only going to hurt the U.S. economy, cultural health, ability to grow as a nation moving forward. It's only going to set us back several years. Yeah, yeah. The impact is is not going to be one uh, that um, some people say, you know, the impact will be marginal because it'll be almost like trickle down. And what I say to those folks, I don't think you're up on current events. I, I don't think you're up on the fact that what we're talking about here is, you know, the fact that we're looking at populations, right? 
the number of majority of patents, U.S. patents granted, granted are to foreign individuals. We're talking about one quarter of all entrepreneurs in the United States are immigrants. You know, we're talking about major companies and their origin, Google, uh, Comcast, you know, AT&T even, you know, these companies being started by what uh, people that were for, from foreign countries. There is an education that has to happen, um, almost an education that needs to be fueled by some of this information hitting the public on a regular basis. But on another note, you are in the trenches, mm -hmm. and I want to thank you for that. What can you say to us today to help us support you at Orbit Law in the journey that you all are taking? I think for me, the one thing would be don't fall in to the narrative that you hear. I mean, and I think honestly, like this is my fervent plea to everybody, whether that is about the undocumented population or whether that is about, you know, companies that are effectively just out to gouge the American populist and allegedly steal jobs and, and send them off to a country that's cheaper and, and, you know, allegedly people are lining up outside the door to take your jobs away from you, don't fall into that narrative. Mm. Um, you know, understand that people that are undocumented are not criminals. They're not rapists. They're not bad hombres, as uh, the current president has said. They are good, hardworking people. Yes, some of them have committed crimes, as have a lot of people that live in our neighborhoods, right? Mm. I mean, I, the idea is not, again... The idea is not to vilify them because they may have come into the country without documents. I mean, because they, they broke our laws. I think the idea is to understand what their motivations were for coming into the U.S. and to see what they've done with their lives. Um, yeah. And there needs to be an understanding of what it means to effectively force people to be separated from children that are U.S. citizens. Mm that are going to be impacted in major ways, psychologically and otherwise, mm -hmm. and what it means for us as a society moving forward. Um, you know, as far as the debate regarding undocumented individuals is concerned, I think there's a lot of vitriol, there's a lot of anger, there's a lot of rushed judgment, and I would ask that people just take a couple steps back, take time to understand what that means, on an individual level, on a fundamental, basic level, and then make your decisions. And mm -hmm. as for, you know, the, the companies, just because you hear, you know, H-1B being thrown out as a buzzword, don't automatically assume that a company that brings in foreign workers is out to get you or out to replace you or out to ship your job abroad to somebody else. It might just genuinely mean that they actually need a foreign worker because they haven't been able to find talent in the U.S. But more than that, it may actually mean that they need this person to come in and train the U.S. workers to get up to the talent that these people have, right? That could also be a silver lining. Um, so my, my whole thing is just the, the vilification needs to stop. Um, and I just hope that people are, are willing to listen and actually pay attention to the other side of the debate and not just jump to whatever version of facts one side wants to put out. Yeah. You've been listening to Dynamics of Diversity Radio, 
scripting the new narrative for immigration with leading experts Kripa Upadhyay and Steve Tanicha on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Tune in next time for a new perspective on the dynamics of immigration and diversity, ever reminding us that together we are all at the core of innovation, excellence, and positive change. Please visit OrbitLawPLLC.com. That's OrbitLawPLLC.com to find out more about how Kriba and Steve are scripting the new narrative for immigration worldwide. The preceding audio was via a Skype call.